This is the Grind, Sell, and Elevate podcast by Tizer Evans, where we do a deep dive on how to stay driven, how to be a top-tier salesperson, and how to elevate the quality of your life. Hey everybody, this is Tizer Evans on Grind, Sell, and Elevate. Thanks so much for joining me this week. This week, I had the pleasure of sitting down and talking to Todd Westra. Todd is the CEO and founder of Moyuteki LLC, which is a leadership consulting firm. He's also the co-founder and CEO of the Biz Games, which is a team building firm that's worked with companies such as Google and Shell. He's also, if that's not enough, a podcast host of the podcast Leadership in Business. He's a father of eight based out of Utah. So we had a wide ranging conversation about leadership, personal development, sales, and of course, fatherhood. Uh, If you guys really like the podcast, I would love it if you would drop me a five-star review. And if you could go ahead and drop me a comment, let me know what you think the podcast. It would mean the world to me. Also, if you haven't, I would really ask if you guys could please share the podcast with four or five friends. It would mean the world to me. It's how that the podcast continues to grow organically is the way we share. So share with four or five people, let them know the value you've taken away from it. And again, leaving me a review, let me know the value you've taken away from it. So without further ado, here's my podcast with Todd Westra. Thanks so much. All right, Todd Westra, thanks for joining me on Grind, Sell, and Elevate today. Hey, my pleasure, Ty. Glad glad to be here. Yeah, so I'm excited to talk to you. You've got a lot going on. So I've, I've talked to quite a few people now, but I don't think they're as busy as you are. The, the first thing that popped out is a father of eight. I, yeah. <laughs> that is that is crazy. What, what are you the know, age ranges? Uh, you know, I got them everywhere from 21 down to six. And okay. uh, yeah, we've got five boys, three girls. It's a heck of a busy household, but uh, you know, it doesn't seem too out of the ordinary living here in Utah. <laughs> and actually I, I didn't mention this uh but i'm going to utah for my first time uh this month well hit me up while you're here man i'd love to take you to lunch yeah yeah we're going to park city uh for thanksgiving oh my gosh i live about 10 minutes outside park city i'm just up in the mountains right oh, next cool. to park city oh awesome so yeah. looking forward to very it. cool yeah no utah is a great place it's a it's a fun community it's um a lot of sales, a lot of thought leaders live in Utah. It's kind of an interesting little mecca of people sharing insights and stuff like that. So I'm glad to be on the show today. Yeah, thank you. So I see now you've got your um, leadership and business podcast, and I interviewed a tons of CEOs on there because it's doing really, really well. And you're the CEO oh, of your leadership training program. I know it's a Japanese word, so I don't want to butcher it if you could pronounce yeah. it. Yeah, Mokuteki. Mokuteki. Yeah, Mokuteki is my is my sales uh, and leadership training program, and the fun part about that word is that it's made up of two characters, and the two characters Moku is the character for sight or vision, and uh, Teki is the way you do things. And so, when you align your actions with your vision, you have Mokuteki, which is their English translation as purpose. And so, I just love taking leaders who don't always have a clear vision as to where they're taking their teams and trying to identify the course correction they need to make to be aligned with how their actions actually match up with their vision. Yeah, no, that makes total sense. I definitely want to get into that. And I see that you're also a co-founder and CEO of Biz Games. Yes. 
Yeah. Oh man. The biz games uh, was just a fun project that kind of evolved into something that I never thought it would become. And uh, I, I, I think that your audience will actually really appreciate that, that story of how that evolved and how putting customer first equated into way more revenue and a way different opportunity than I ever expected. <laughs> Great. Well, let's just jump into that first. That is intriguing. It was intriguing to me kind of looking at the background of what it is right. and what you're trying to accomplish, you know, having worked right. for several billion dollar companies, um, trying to bring fun and a cohesive atmosphere, I think is really clutch, <laughs> you know, right. Things can get a, go astray. So I'd love to hear more about it. Right. Right. Well, so I won't, I won't bore you with too much of my, with too much of my entrepreneurial history because it's uh, it's all over the place. And and uh, I'll leave you with this though. I literally learned at a really young age. When I was in college, I learned that you can start a business doing anything you want in any industry you want and find a way to, to monetize it. And so I started in the golf business because I loved golf. And so I started a, a home putting green business. We became the, the nation's largest golf course company it, it, or a home putting green company in the country while we were in college That's great. and all done with a pager, right? This is back in the day. <laughs> and, uh, and so that was kind of the first. And then I went into the audio video business because I saw my first flat screen TV and thought, oh my gosh, I love flat screen TVs. This would be so awesome to be able to sell these all day long. And I started a company doing that and closed my first deals before I even had the company formally organized and, um, and was selling massive home automation systems and lighting controls, all that kind of stuff before I had the business going. Well, the next business I, I had in mind was to start an offshore, uh, something international. I, I had, uh, as a young man, I lived overseas in Japan and, uh, and thought, oh, this would be so cool to do something in Asia. I love, I love Asia. I thought it'd be fun to do some kind of international import, export, something in Asia, not knowing what I was gonna do yet. Turns out I needed outsourcing help with um, with some drafting work. So we, with my audio video company, we would draft up these floor plan layouts and and do 3D models of like a theater room or a conference room or you know whatever it was we were designing. And so I ended up utilizing a friend of mine who had an architectural firm in the Philippines. And um, that was my first exposure to outsourcing in about 2007. And uh, I was like, oh my gosh, you're telling me that these people will work for me at this rate and I can get them to do anything I want. And so I started uh, an offshore BPO, which is a business process outsourcing center in 2007 and um, carried that on through uh, until today. We're We're still doing some BPO work. And, uh, but had grown the call center part of it out to be fairly large. And a friend of mine had a business doing uh, PPC management for companies. And so we were both commiserating one day about, man, how do we get in front of some of the largest companies here in, in Utah? And, and this, is, this is where the story ties into your audience, because this is a dilemma. We are trying to figure out how do we get in front of these, these uh, big B2B companies? You know, we, were do- we had, both had B2B products. How do we get in front of these clients in um, a meaningful way so that we can convert them to be our clients, his in the PPC world and me in the, in the call center or outsourcing world. And so, you know, couldn't think of anything really meaningful. And then he and his partner um, were moving into a new office building and decided, Hey, you know what? 
it's March Madness. It's uh, kind of this, you know, no one's really working during March anyway. So let's see if we can get some people on to a ping pong foosball tournament. And uh, he kind of pitched me on the idea. I'm like, oh, dude, I'm in. You know, I'll, I'll bring sure. all my people down. And so he, he uh, took the empty space in this new building he was moving into and did just this open floor bracketed ping pong foosball tournament. And literally uh, 400 people showed up. And, oh, wow. And, and he was in the door of all the biggest companies in Utah. And he's like, oh my gosh, Todd, you got to be part of this. Uh, this would be so fun. So the next year, um, we became a part of it and, and uh, decided to, uh, what the beautiful thing was, is that we were able to get in the door of all the gatekeepers that were keeping us from talking to the decision makers at some of the bigger companies we wanted to get in with. And these are mostly tech companies and we knew that they all had a ping pong table in their office. So, so we ended up um, creating a, a, a sponsorship package that we could go into these companies and talk ping pong and foosball and lo and behold, every CEO wanted to talk to us. <laughs> so here we, here we went from hitting every gatekeeper, getting, getting stonewalled. And uh, we beat through the walls and got in to be buddies with all the decision makers and because they wanted to be involved in the, in the biz games. And so sure. the Utah business games grew, it doubled in size that year. Um, and, uh, and my buddy was creative enough to have invited Google's ping pong coach because yes, they have a ping pong coach um, out to our event to be like an exhibition tournament. And so he was an exhibition player. We had this hilarious tournament and actually it was a really aggressive tournament, but he made it hilarious because, you know, he started pulling out a credit card and was playing with a credit card and oh, that's good. beating people. And it was amazing. Yeah. And, and so, so there in was an opportunity. Um, we discovered that our sales for both of our programs increased significantly because we were able to get past gatekeepers and talk to the right people in, in our target audience. And uh, yes, was it fun? Yes, did it cost some money? But to be honest, the sponsorship money outweighed our expenses. So it ended up being a net positive. And we got in with all the people we were trying to get in with. So like it was, it was the most creative sales play I've ever seen. Um, my partner ended up uh, selling off his PPC company later that year because the the large contracts he was able to close, and we thought, man, what if we could what if we could start a business just having fun with companies? Sure. And uh, so we did, and and literally um, had no idea what this model looked like. Um, it started morphing into a an event company, which is you know by no means the industry I was trying to get into. And so we didn't really know how to take it. And, and I hired some people who were, you know, event industry people. And, and it just kind of was morphing into something different than what I really wanted with that company. And so laid everyone off and decided, you know what? Google is using us for all of their big Google-wide events because um, one thing about huge organizations, as you, as you, it sounds like you probably know really well, Yeah, they do a great job with catering. They do a great job with venue selection. They've got some, some awesome people to help them with the decor. They aren't very fun. And true. no, very true. <laughs> so yep. having had my own business that I scaled to more than 300 people and, and worked with some good sized teams and, you know, granted 300 people is not, not 200,000 people like Google, but, um, 
we ended up developing a relationship with Google where we went and hit them up to be a sponsor for our California biz games. And, uh, and it ended up turning into an opportunity where they were like, you know what? Um, we don't really, you know, yeah, we may sponsor that, but more importantly, we'd love to have your creativity infused into our, our events. You want to come help us with this event and then this event and this event. And, and while we were trying to avoid being an event company, what we found immediately was that all sorts of teams were needing uh, a lot of directors at Google started hitting us up saying, Hey, we saw you at this event. Would you mind coming and doing a team build for us? And I thought, Oh, now that's something different. That's uh, that's not an event necessarily. It's just, Hey, we could, we could turn this into a, a team build leadership training opportunity. Sure. And so it became that. And, and here's the lesson. We went from doing some really fun, crazy events, just kind of on the side because I did have my call center that was keeping me busy. And, and again, we didn't really know what it would, what it would turn into at first, but it ended up evolving into, I saw a customer's need and the customer need was this directors and leaders in any size organization have a real need to want to build their teams and right. Trying to build camaraderie and, and, uh, adjust their leadership style to get the most buy-in from their teams. Right. I saw that need. The biz games now is uh, a large team building company. We do all sorts of operational things to where we, uh, we train small leadership teams of five or six people. We go in and we do full on um, three to 500 person, you know, offsite trainings where we, we involve them in activities. We, d- we do large keynote addresses, things like that, where, where it really evolved into something I never imagined it would be. But it all happened because we listened to our customer and we saw their need evolve and we thought, huh, there's a good play. And that's an easy adaptation to what our skill sets will, will uh, be able to adjust to. And our product married perfectly with their need. And we became a large uh, supplier for Google's team building and uh, offsite coordination services. No, I love it. And I think you're, you're dead on that I a lot of companies have the best of intentions of having these uh, elaborate forums and get togethers and annual meetings. And you basically sit there for two to three days and you listen to keynote speakers and almost put you to sleep. Right. And, you know, right. and, and, and every once in a while you do a breakout session with icebreakers and uh, everybody's like, what are we doing? This is awkward. Um, right. Am I, am I getting close? Cause I've, I've, I've oh, totally. that for, you know, last no, totally. So yeah, no, totally. The awkward icebreakers yeah. are awkward and, and goofy, but when it's tied to a purpose. So we came up with a statement that uh, is kind of the mantra of that business. And that is playing with purpose. Mm. And um, we started uh, it, probably the most challenging uh, program I ever created was for um Shell Oil Company. Uh, we had a Shell Oil group come into Park City wanting to do a, a team build. And before every activity, I learned there's a really important question to ask every one of the directors that I would work with. And I'd say, listen, you're going to have a captive audience. We're going to do some really fun activities, but you're going to have a captive audience. What are we going to do to infuse some type of lesson to be learned? I mean, they're all paying attention to you. What lesson do you want to teach them during this offsite? And nine times out of 10, I would get a blank look on their faces and say, well, we have budget. 
you know, we just, we just want to do something fun. Yeah. And I tried to level up their fun into some type of meaningful experience where they learned a lesson from the, the games that we played. And so we ended up designing this elaborate um, five different activity rotation where everyone was broken into teams. It was like an Olympic format and it was just super fun. And, um, and they came back to me the day after they signed the contract and they said, Hey, we've got a, we've got an eight person uh, leadership team of all of our VPs from North and South America. Um, do you think you could put together, we, we had three hours slated for lecture, you know, do you think you could put something together for us that would be meaningful and purposeful for our little team? And I'm like, Oh, you bet. You know, like every salesman I gave the, sure. the positive. <laughs> yeah. We go. can do that. Yeah. Right. And uh, I, I walked away thinking, Oh my gosh, what did I just get myself into? This is a multi-billion dollar global organization. Uh, if I botch this up, you know, that's embarrassing. Uh, let's see if we can, we can create something powerful here. And ended up creating and designing this very um, meaningful uh, leadership training where I had, um, you know, their, their, their global director of sales holding up targets in her hands while her team shot nerf tip arrows <laughs> at the target. <laughs> anyway, as, a, as this really fun exercise in teaching lessons on communication and trust and, you know, all these really fun um key leadership skills in a way that was uh, just goofy and fun, but, but it led to more business with them. And it led to a full um, change of my outlook on how I sold other team building packages to other companies at Google and other companies uh, around the world. And that is what every good salesperson needs to do is learn what your customer's actual needs are. What's the underlying purpose of them buying your product? Right. Was it just to fill budget or spend budget? In some cases, yeah. I mean, they really just aren't creative enough to see the value and the opportunity they had. Sure. But the, the leaders that I could foresee, okay, what they really want out of this team build is a meaningful experience that will bring their team closer together. Yeah. And there's not a product out there, Ty, that, that where the salesperson doesn't look at their client or potential client and say, what value is the product I, or service I'm trying to sell to this person have in changing their organization? Right? Right. Yeah. And so do you ask that? Like, why are you looking at a, at a CRM product change right now? What is, you know, it, it doesn't matter what the product is, you know, what, what could my calendaring system do for your organization that would help streamline your ability to book appointments. Sure. What would my pay-per-click services, you know, you have to, as a salesperson, you have to think, how can I change the outlook of their organization by them buying my service today? Yeah, that's uh, that's wonderful. I mean, that's one of the things I, I maybe I don't do it quite um, as well as that, but we talk a lot about finding almost problems to be able to present solutions and problems that didn't even know that they had, right? So right. we're trying to add more than they even currently understand. So when, especially when we work a lot, you know, in health insurance. And so a lot of, a lot of business owners aren't right. even realizing different options or that there's refund components or 
hundred percent what's innovative, how to, you know, alleviate some of the surprise billing and some of those types of things. They don't even, they're not even aware of the problems they're facing. They're out in the marketplace. So providing that value and like, right. Oh, well, thank you. Then you have a different type of buy-in and credibility up front uh, it establishes a different type of trust. Um, now, what have you, I'm just curious, and you work with a lot of leaders, you've worked with some really big companies. Right. What have you kind of seen as far as some pitfalls with how we've all had to transition going virtual? I, you know, cause I've been, I've been a leader for a long time and it's always been in person. And so, um, you know, I, I remember we went, had our top producers trip in, in Aspen. I got home from Aspen in March and we got a call that night and said, hey, no one's allowed to go back to work. <laughs> I was like, uh, okay, right? And um, so we had to pivot immediately. So right. how, how have you seen leaders transition well or where have been some of the pitfalls? Oh my gosh. Well, you know, <laughs> it's funny you should ask. So um, yeah, I, I was in the same boat. You know, we we uh, I I did an offsite for a team in February. Um, I had about six or seven other offsites planned for March, April, May. Um, it was going to be a banner year for me this year, and and literally within about three days, every event, every potential event I had in the books um, was completely wiped off my books, and. And I said to these leaders, I'm like, you know, what, uh, so what are you going to do with your team during these next, uh, you know, we all thought month, right. two months, <laughs> right? Two, two weeks. I think it's what they Right. Two yeah. weeks. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and all of them were, you know, very confident and, oh, you know, we'll be okay. We've got, um, you know, we've got things under control. We'll be back and we'll be able to do some, some more live training and, and handle some of these issues without any kind of issue moving forward. And so we thought, all right, we'll just defer these, these dates, right? To be honest, in almost every case, the leadership of these teams just kind of called things off and, and literally had no plan to resurrect a program or anything like that. They they were all working hard to do their best with, okay, we're going to use, uh, you know, obviously in the case of Google, they're going to use uh, Google Meet to do all of their meetings and do, you know, they don't use the Z word over there. And so it's, uh, you know, it, it's all using Google Meets, Google Hangouts and all the other products that Google provides in that, in that realm. And, you know, fortunately they did do that because their products become a lot better uh, than it was pre-COVID um, as has Zoom become, yep. but um, moral of the story, most leaders lost focus and they, they became very unclear as to what it was that their teams needed in order to give them the tools and resources they needed to be as constructive as they traditionally were. And so for me, I immediately changed my tune and um, refined a program that I had already been teaching and training on at Google um, and I renamed it the three C's of leadership, which are clarity, connection, and culture. And, you know, to be honest, like the clarity piece is the piece that most leaders were missing. You know, when you're, when you're in an office with everybody and you're in the office with these people, they know what they should be working towards because you're there and you have some idea in your head of where you're bringing the team. Right. And so you're able to kind of, be a little more productive and be that leader that people can look at and say, oh, okay, we're still working on that project. We need to keep our heads down on this project. 
oh, now he just pivoted to this little thing. Okay, I guess we should all be working on that. And they, they kind of follow along with what the leader does. With COVID and people working from home, um, I see this in both sales leadership and in just, you know, uh, traditional product leadership and, 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 you know, the overall CEO founder type leadership position is that the teams where the leader was super clear, had it written out, this is what our aim is. This is, you know, be it in the form of a mission statement or be it in the form of, you know, clear written values the leaders in a sales organization or leaders in any organization that is really clear on those things had teams that did not miss a beat during COVID. And those that were just playing it out of their head and off their hip and, and just kind of gunslinging their leadership style, those are the ones that really sucked and they ended up laying off half their team and they ended up having all these issues. And so it was so evident, Ty, that the teams that really succeeded were the teams that actually had written plans, had written mission statements, had written core value statements. And those teams, they truly did not miss a beat. Nobody lost their job because they were all still producing. Nobody, you know, I can't tell you how many sales teams I've talked to since COVID started where they truly have scaled up during COVID more than they ever thought they could because they were clear. Yeah. That's, I mean, uh, not to toot my own horn, but uh, our sales team, I brought on five new people in Q3, yeah. in Q2 and Q3, and we finished uh, Q3 at 203% of goal. Um, Woo! Yeah, right. We, Dude, and we toot that horn, man. Toot that horn. <laughs> yeah, it was That's good. awesome. And we finished October 186. But I, I think that it's because we have a very clear purpose of what we're trying to get to. And that's something right. you see a lot with leadership. Because I, I believe in having a common mission, right? I, I kind of joke right. with my guys. Uh, I love Jocko Willink. And so, yeah, I, oh, yeah. Right. I love Jocko. But, you know, one of the things I've learned from him through his podcast and whatnot is it's like you treat your sales team you know, like the military, you have to have a clear mission. And if you get clear on your mission, then we can all understand what we do to contribute to it. We can go after it. Is that you see that as a huge shortfall for a lot of leaders in any industry, not having a clear mission? Any, any industry. So here's what, here's how I pivoted in COVID. Um, All my crap got canceled with Google. And, uh, you know, this is the first time in my lifetime as, a, as an adult where I didn't have a team of employees. Like I, I went from having about 150 employees uh, with my BPO center at the time that I exited uh, to do my Google thing and the consulting gig. Um, I kind of solopreneured it. I had a, I had a team of, of people that, would, that I could hire off, you know, just temp labor and, and build out these, uh, these offsites and team builds with but I wasn't, they weren't fixed overhead for me. And so I had some time to kind of digest a minute and understand what was going on, but I didn't know how to adapt that messaging to fit an audience that wasn't Google, that wasn't a big enterprise organization. And in my heart of hearts, I kind of was missing my interactions with SMB founders and owners. And so I love to network. I love to talk to people who own small to mid-sized companies. And by, by SMB, in my mind, I'm thinking people with 20 to three or 400 employees, right? Like sure. kind of that, that area. And so 
I wanted to interact more with those people. And so I took my three C's product to LinkedIn and tried to target that to that audience. Almost no penetration. Like it was like crickets, you know? And so I was pitching this three C's of leadership training. And then I started thinking about it. And I'm like, you know, if, if it were me and someone were pitching me on that product right now, I don't need a leadership training. I need more tactical advice. I need more like strategic. Okay. Everybody's working from home. How do I get them on the same page? How can, how do I get people, you know, to stay aligned with, with what my vision is, that kind of thing. And so I decided not really knowing what the product would be and not really being super desperate because I didn't have a building payment. I didn't have massive uh, uh, wage overhead for the first time in my life. I thought, I'm really going to try and be tactical with this. I'm going to, I'm going to start a podcast. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and so I started a podcast geared towards the SMB founder owner in that 20 to, to three or 400 employee range. And uh, the podcast is called the leadership and business podcast. And my goal was market research what do these people need right now? I mean, COVID is something we've never experienced. None of us. How do I talk to them in a way that they want to talk about their problem? And that way I can kind of come up with a solution and create a new product for them. Right. Makes sense. And so, so I did, and I thought I'll do 30 or 40 interviews, uh, maybe by the end of the summer and that'll be awesome. And by that point, I should have a good idea of how to adapt my product and my messaging to, to hit the target audience I wanted. So um, here I go with my podcast journey. I, I built a landing page. I built a registration page. I, I liked the format of, you know, really building off LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. LinkedIn is, uh, they have a 10 minute video upload limit. So I was like, all right, I got to keep my format within 10 minutes. I need to um, be really clear and concise with my questions. I did that. And um, I came up with six questions in nine minutes. That's kind of my thing. Yep. And, um, and I started the podcast. In the first weekend of launching uh, my outreach on LinkedIn, I got 22. No, I got, well, I got two people signed up out of the first weekend. By the end of the first week, I had 22 people sign up for my podcast. That's awesome. And so I just kept it going. And right. literally in, in, 12 weeks, I did over 200 interviews. That's a lot. That's a lot. It was ridiculous. Yeah. Ridiculous. And and I just, honestly, I didn't want to turn it off because I was having so much fun. And, um, you know, it did only take me about 30 or 40 interviews to see the common trends of, of what the problem was with most of these leaders. And the common trend was, (laughs) you know, I, I mean, we talk, we talk on the podcast about people, processes and tools Mm -hmm. because those are the outward expression of what the real problem is. The biggest problem I found was that leaders have a tendency to just get in their own way. And by getting in their own way, really boiling that down, what I mean is leaders have a hard time delegating responsibilities and tasks that they really shouldn't be doing. Yep. Right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you, you've seen this probably over and over again in the organizations you've been in where somebody has got this great idea. They, they grow a team around that great idea. Um, they can't let go of some of the creativity and some of the, 
whether it be the sales arm or the marketing arm or the product development arm, and they've got other responsibilities. So they become the bottleneck. And so I created a training program that helps leaders pull themselves out of that, of that hole they dug themselves in and help them take off all the hats they're wearing and give those hats to somebody else so they can build out um, all the services and, and, and really, really just take off on their own under the guise of I'm helping you get us where you think we need to be with this. Yeah. I love that. I think that uh, that is, that is, that's huge. There's a lot of people like they're really good at one or two things, but they right. think that they think that they're good at 10. Oh, um, yeah. Right. And so, so they try to do all 10 because they don't want to relinquish control. But I think that especially right. as, as a leader, the, I mean, tell me if I'm wrong, you have a lot more experience, but the more you relinquish control, the more it empowers your team. Right. So, oh like, my gosh, you know, I know what I'm good at. I'm really good at talking to people. You put me in front of somebody in a, in a person to person meeting. That's where I shine giving presentations. Right. So I tell my sales right. guys, like, hey, take me on the road with you. Right. Cause that's where I'm going to be best right. served when it comes to like the Excel spreadsheets and the reports and filling in the data. I don't want anything to do with that. <laughs> right. I, you know, I don't, I, I don't, it's not what I should be doing. Um, right. So I can see. That no, it's not problem. what you should be doing. Right. Yeah, it's not what you should be. I mean, I'm willing to bet that those listening to this podcast who work in an SMB, um, my guess is that most of you have a founder who is a brilliant founder. They, they create a really cool company. Their clients are buying in. They're raising capital. They're growing. They're growing. There's a really good chance that if they're sales background you know, type founder, they still have not relinquished control of sales and marketing to a marketing yeah. director and a sales director. Yeah. They yeah. may have the position, but they haven't let go. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a great point. You need to be looking at that uh, 30,000 foot view and, and get, out ah. of the, get out of the trenches a bit more. Get out of the way. Just get yeah. out of the way. Yeah. And, and, and sales leaders, it's the exact same problem. You know, they, they come up with a process and they're like, man, if I could just train a bunch of warriors who do exactly what I do and, and talk exactly the way I talk and, and do this exactly the way I do it. We're going to, we're going to build this awesome sales organization. Guess what? You're not going to find mini me's all over the universe. Like no. build a process, put the right tools at their disposal, build a workflow that they can adapt their style to. Right. Boom. Now you got something going for you. Yeah. That's, that's so key. I don't know who it was. I was listening to somebody. I wish you could give them credit. But it, it was one of those things that kind of it pinged me too, is that a lot of times I think entrepreneurs and sales leaders, you're saying for me, like before I got promoted, I was number one in the country, right? For, right. for our company. And right. I realized that like my skill set's way different. So I can't come into an office and realize that like not everybody can right. be, be number one, but right. it's managing to that person's potential by putting in the right systems and tools like you're talking about. Right. right. So if someone can't get right. to maybe seven million in production, they can get to three. Great. I'm going to manage them to three. And this person, I'm going to manage them to five. And a lot of sales leaders, that never clicks with them. And so they push and they push and they burn yep. people out. And I think that's where you start to get that real toxic culture. Right. 100%. 100%, man. Toxic, toxic cultures equate to no production or very minimal production. And, and the way you avoid that, just like you just said, build a process. Because, you know, there, there's, as you and I both know, in every sales funnel, 
you know, there's some people that are really good at top of funnel lead generation. There's some people that are really good at just pulling people in right at that lower mid level where it's like, mm-hmm. we just skipped all that BS at the top and we pulled them right into this level, but they don't have the number of, you know, and the volume that the, the guy that brings them in the top does, right? That's okay. Adapt, build a system and a process that actually welcomes both styles of, of lead generation. Yeah. Build it so that you can actually take a top of funnel type lead generator and throw them where they're comfortable. Don't make them be a middle funnel, you know, lasso guy that can rope people in where they're not comfortable, you know? And and so really play to the strengths, but build the process so that, oh, I see. If I bring him in at this level, my commission is a little bit less, but if I bring in lots of people, we're going to have this cool little funnel where all of a sudden somebody that's good at closing those mid-level, you know, those mid mid funnel uh, people can take my lead and put them into the big box, you know? And, and, and if everyone sees that they can play at this spot, this spot, or this spot, mm-hmm. now they actually feel comfortable in your sales organization. Hey, I'm a contributor. I brought in 50 leads last week um, versus the guy that's like, dude, I just crank it out. I brought, I brought in four people last week to this mid-level spot, but they all, but two of them converted to, you know, the big goal, which we wanted, you know, whatever the enterprise goal, whatever the goal was for that org. Sure. And so, you know, that that's where um, sales leaders need to be creative. They need to be flexible in saying, I'm this kind of person. Most salespeople that exist in our company right now are top of funnel feeders. And that's okay. Um, some are going to see the dollars that they could earn at this level. So we might train some to be that person, but you're not forced to be that person. So yeah. here's our whole system. Here's our process. And here's the tools we use. Go do what you feel the most comfortable with. Tell me where you think you fit. And uh, I'll try to make you the best at fitting in that spot as we can. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's great. That reminds me of the uh, Jim Collins book, uh, Good to Great. Where he talks about, right. you know, and, and I think that's so most organizations miss that is that they have the right people on the bus, just in the wrong seats. And, yep. and even sometimes I've had I've, one of the best stories for me in my last company was this guy, uh, God bless his soul. He, he worked his ass off every day. He was just, right. ter- he was terrible at sales. He was terrible. It didn't matter right. how much I role played. I could listen to his calls. I could walk him through the sales. Pro- he was, he was just bad. And so, right. um, but he had compassion and he had empathy. And so I thought, Hey, I c- he's got a mouth to feed. He's got, he's got a family. So we got him over to retention. Yeah. Number one retention guy in the company. Cause he was just, he was in the wrong seat, but he needed, to be, on the, he needed to be on the bus. And too often leaders, they just want to cut somebody, get them off the bus when they could be best served somewhere else within the organization. I think that too often a lot of leaders don't realize that and, and it's, it's misplaced. It's because t- you know, you know how it is expensive is bringing on new employees. It's a total oh, pain yeah. in the ass. It's a total pain in the ass. No, it, it's, it's the worst. I mean, I mean, the cost of bringing someone in training for three months and then having to replace that person, it's, yeah, it's the worst thing ever. So, so be really clear when you're hiring. I mean, this again, goes back to that clarity piece, right? Mm-hmm you may already have a bunch of top of funnel people and all you need to hire right now is this mid-level closer, right? The, the one that can, that can take those meteor, comp, you know, meteor leads and put them into a bigger program for the company. 
And if you hire another top of funnel person, you're going to wonder why nothing's ever converting down to the bottom of your funnel. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, don't be an idiot. Hire the right people, put them in the right spots. Don't just think, oh, this is a great personality. We need another top of funnel person. This is going to be great. Yeah. You know, yeah. if you need closers, get a freaking closer in there and, and make sure that your system is designed that all the top of funnel opportunities that you're bringing people into actually have a strong relationship to where you're trying to get them in the bottom of the funnel. Yeah, that's great. Now I want to ask you kind of a taught an off the wall question. Hit me. All right. Is there any, uh, I know there is right. Being a father myself, what do you think are some of the biggest (laughs) parallels to being a dad and being a leader? Oh man. Well, uh, so many, um, right off the top of my head, I think of all the times as uh, teenagers, you know, teenagers are bound and determined to make their own decisions about everything. Um, my wife and I live firmly by the decree that teach them correct principles and let them choose their own path, right? We, we really aren't controller parents. We aren't helicopter parents to come in and bail them out. We let them make mistakes. We let them learn from those mistakes and learn why it would have been better to have done it maybe a different way so they do that better the next time. I think in sales, in any leadership, if you don't do the same thing, if you're, if you're that leader that's like in their face and, and you got to do it this way and you got to do it this way, even though their personality is so different, good luck. You know, they're going to be yeah. your worst employee. Yeah. And good luck with your kid because they're going to be the one that rebels against you and starts, you know, doing all sorts of drugs and, and getting girls pregnant or whatever, you know? Yeah. So, so that's not what you want. You want someone that you teach them why that decision they made was bad or less effective Mm -hmm. and say, look, had you done this or had you put them in the funnel here, think of what, how they might've converted, you know, if you wouldn't have gone out and hung out with this set of friends over the weekend and actually were with these people who invited you to go have some fun, Think of the difference. My, my father-in-law, uh, ironically, um, he lives really close to a, a college nearby. And, and two, of my, two of my boys and a nephew are living in their basement right now going to college. And uh, he, uh, it's hilarious. Yeah. But uh, he just said, he, the, all, both my boys told me at the same time, they're like, dad, grandpa gave us the best advice. And I'm like, yeah, what's that? And he said, be smart. So you don't have to be strong. And I thought about it and I was like, okay, so be smart. So you don't have to be strong. So you may have a strong personality. You may have a strong skill set and, and some part of your business, but if you're smart, you put yourself in a situation where you don't have to be as strong. Mm-hmm. You you're plugging into the system the right, right. way. You know yep. what I mean? A- instead of having to like dominate your, you know, imposing your will to get where you want to be because I'm strong enough. I can do this. I can do this. That's a great, you know, mindset to be able to employ sometimes, but you're going to fail sometimes. If you're smart, you put yourself in the position where you're going to be feeding into your sales funnel, you know, multiple levels so that you have some that are going to close fast. You're going to have some that you're going to nurture. You're going to, you know, um, I, I really think that parenting and, and business leadership, honestly, are so the same yeah. <laughs> that, you know, good parents 
could be a great business leader. Good business leaders are going to be great parents most of the time. Yeah, no, I love that. I, my, my kids are uh, four and six. So oh, I, I that's fun. Two, two strong-willed boys, uh, but they're a lot of fun. So we talk a lot about, uh, it's on our fridge, you know, how to be a leader. That's a, it's, right. a, constant, it's a constant topic in, in our household. So I just, you know, you've no, got no, experience I, in me. So I was just curious. It's kind of off the cuff question. I would say off the cuff. And one more answer. One add on to that answer. Um, in parenting, make sure your kids know that when something bad happens, make sure they understand why that bad thing happened. And it's the same thing in business. Mm. When, when, when something doesn't work out the way they hoped, make sure they realize that, oh, well, that's because you chose to do this. Right. Had you chosen to do this, you would have closed that sale. Had you chosen to be part of this training we offered, you would have been able to present that product better. Had you not skipped out on this, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, yeah, and that's, I think that for my children, um, my wife and I really felt strongly that, that they needed to be their own thinkers, but we can certainly encourage them to know that good decisions are going to bring better rewards right. than making really stupid, impulsive decisions yeah. and suffering the pain of that. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. And there's, there's, unfortunately I've had to fire uh, people uh, right. as I'm sure you have too, for making really bad unethical decisions in sales. Um, and, and it's just the way it goes. There's a lot to be said for what, what you just said. Um, I want to ask you, now, do you have any success habits? You know, obviously you said you're a busy guy. You've started multiple companies. Uh, I've always found right. certain traits that a lot of entrepreneurs have. Do you have any success habits that you would, you would recommend that have worked well for you? hundred percent. Yeah, no, I, I, uh, I, again, it's, it's, it reverts back to those three C's. Um, being super clear is number one thing. And for me, you know, I, I use, um, I use a project management tool. Um, Asana is what I use, but I lay out in my Asana, um, all the objectives and tasks that I want to, I want to accomplish. And I don't overcomplicate my life. I, I have at all times, I've got three main projects I'm working on. And, and if my calendar, I calendar like crazy, I calendar every 30 minutes. Okay. And, um, if I see that, uh, that I am not going to be able to get something done, I keep flex time in my afternoon. So between two and five, I have flex time where the projects I didn't get done in the morning, I bounce them into my flex time later that day. But I don't just keep working on that one thing till I'm done. This is a big, important thing. If you didn't allocate the right amount of time, schedule the time for it on a different day. And, and I think that that is a huge thing because if you knew you had three important products you want to get done and maybe you allocated an hour for this, an hour and a half for that, and another hour for this third thing, and you knew you had another 45 minutes to get that one thing done, don't not get to the second thing. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think that that is the only way I've been able to keep so many balls in the air is because I don't just forget about one project. I'm, I've become really, really good at keeping full focus on this one thing and then take a, take a 10, 15 minute break between things, walk around, get a drink, you know, working from home. I go and I talk to my wife for a minute, yeah. get my mind clear. And then, and then I also do a breathing exercise 
which I thought was absolutely the most goofy woo-woo thing in the world to do until I did it. And, and it's called a, a release and reset exercise that I do. It takes about 60 seconds. I get back to my desk after that 10 or 15 minute walk around and you take a deep breath in and on your release, you literally, <laughs> this is where I didn't want to do it. Yeah. You literally say the word release. Okay. Okay. And you do that for about a minute in out and you say release and literally all the thoughts from that previous hour, hour and a half activity that you just finished, they're gone. And then I look at my calendar, I look at my next big product I'm gonna work on. And on my last two releases, I say what I'm about to do. And my mind is alive with that thing that I need to get done. And, and I'll tell you, I'm not 100% at doing this all the time. But when I do this exercise, Dude, I'm a freaking baller. I can get anything done in the world. And, and even though I may not get hundred percent done, I got flex time later than I know, I know I could bounce into Sure. and don't let any other scheduled appointment mess with your sacred time to get that product done. Man, that that's great. I just, um, I love the flex time. I'm going to implement that because I'm pretty regimented with my time and I have a power list, kind of my non-negotiables I have to get done every day, but I don't right. allocate enough time because I'm regimented. If I'm not done with it, I move on. But Keep um, keep two or three hours of flex, man. It, like it makes a difference. I like that. And I just started doing um, Jesse Itzler's uh, 60 Days of Excellence and last month was uh, Wim Hof month. And so it was the ah. first time in my life where I started doing breath work. And it was Dude. crazy What do you think? I lo- no, I love it because I, I meditate every day when I get up. And so I just incorporated that after my meditation. Yeah. But I catch myself now throughout the day because it is important to have a transition. Right? Yeah. From, going one, from one topic. To, I tell my guys, you know, Brendan Bouchard talks about you should break it down. Yeah. He says, you know, 52 minutes is the optimal time. But so I tell my guys 45 to, to 60 minutes, right? Take right. a break and then re-engage. But I didn't uh, right. really occur to me to use the breath work in between transitions. So I love that. It was actually it was actually Burchard and his and his high performance habits that um, that that I was literally on, I was listening to that book and I was driving down an appointment I had just gotten off a, a nasty call with someone that I was mm-hmm. really frustrated with and I had a sales call I was going to and I was like I'm just not I'm not mentally ready for the sales call. Brendan Burchard talks about this uh, transition exercise and I'm like, all right, I'm gonna do it. I pulled it in the parking lot. I did that release and then reset my intention to the sales call. I walked in and I freaking nailed it. Like I was like, whoa, I'm a believer. Yeah, I love it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Todd, one more question for you. Yeah. So I I told you before here, so you could could prep a little bit, but you know, I'm a big reader. So I love picking the minds of guys that have been really successful like yourself. Uh, one, two, three books you would recommend for any uh, sales leadership or personal development or anything that's just been an inspiration in your life to you? There's two, well, there's three that, that I go to all the time and, and I reread them often. Um, How to Win Friends and Influence People. It, it changed my life in high school. I read that for a class in high school, a business class, and I reread it. I Every time one of my kids turns 16, that is a required reading for them. It. Um, it changes. I've seen it change their lives. 
it's old, it's tested, it's true. Um, second is High Performance Habits by Brendan Burchard. Okay. Uh, I've probably listened to that book no less than a dozen times in the last year and a half. Um, constantly gets my mind thinking of ways to, to be more efficient mm-hmm. and be more direct with my time. Clarity is a big piece of that book. And, and it's one of his uh, principles that he focuses a lot of energy on. And, and that has changed my life in a big way. And then the third isn't as sales, sales relevant, but it's something that every business leader, I think, needs to think about. And that's called the E-Myth, uh, Revisited uh, by Michael Gerber. Mm-hmm. And the E-Myth is um, essentially the crux of the, of the story is that in creating a business, whether you're you and two buddies or whether you're 300 people big, have a real clear vision of what your org chart looks like create that org chart, make sure you have clearly defined roles and responsibilities in your business. And I think every sales leader could walk away from that book with a lesson learned of, okay, who are my top of funnel guys? Who are, my, who are my middle funnel guys? Who are my closers? Who are my, you know, how, who's my liaison to work with marketing to make sure that they're producing the leads that we want? You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. And, and so that type of thinking I think I learned a lot from in the e-myth and I, those three books, honestly, I reread and restudy. I'm not a big like mass book reader because I, I feel like it, I want to stay focused on the things that I hear that I think are really effective. Yeah. Those are the three I go to over and over again. Good. I love, it. I've read two of them and I've got uh, e-myth was recommended to me about a month ago. So it's on my nightstand. I haven't. It's good it stuff. Now. So I'm glad that good I'm, stuff. Uh, you recommend that as well. And Todd, where can people connect with you? toddwestra.com is the easiest place and uh linkedin i'm on there every day i I post every day i try to put some relevant content on there for those striving to be better leaders in a in a very comical humorous way to try and really brighten your morning hopefully (laughs) yeah well we all need more humor in our lives especially right now (laughs) right especially no doubt about it not not tomorrow but the next day we're all going to need a little bit more humor so Uh, yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Either way it goes tomorrow. We're going to be in a mess for a few weeks, I think. Yeah. Yeah. That, that we will, that we will. Um, Todd, but I really appreciate your time. It's been great getting to chat with you. Ty, appreciate it too. Good Thanks, luck man. with the podcast. Keep it I moving. Appreciate it. Thanks buddy.